Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. Amen. Let's put our hands together for Jesus one time, people of God. Our God is good. He is great. And he is greatly to be praised. I want to welcome everyone to the Journey Hanley Road. If you are here worshiping with us for the first time, don't know who I am. My name is Pastor Carlos Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at the Journey Hanley Road. And our vision is to see our city awakened to and transformed by the love of Jesus. And our prayer is that God would bring uh, revival, restoration, and refreshing to our community uh, through the work of this local body. So if you are here with us in person, if you're hanging out with us in virtual land this Sunday, we are just grateful um, that you are with us um, and worshiping with us because there are so many places where you could have chosen to worship on this Sunday. Um, well, I am excited uh, to be today. Um, I am going to be uh, wrapping up at least the last of our sermons on this series on marriage and singleness. Has this series been a blessing to you? I pray that um, I pray that it um, has just been a blessing, and I know that. Uh, for some, it's been encouraging. I think for all of us, myself included, you know, I hope um, that I've tried to make clear that I haven't stood here um, as one who got it all together. Um, that, was, that was actually my trepidation. Y'all have to know, um, at the beginning of this series, me and Jesus talked about it, um, I was going to preach one sermon on marriage, um, just one. Uh, and Jesus was like, nah, bro, you're going to preach like eight of them. Uh, and I was like, wow. Like, and I'm like, do you, but you see, I'm trying to be a husband. And he's like, yeah, you need it more than anybody. This is really for you. And <laughs> we just going, I'm just letting the church listen in. This is actually me. You know, so y'all need to know every challenge, every, every, everything, every burr in your saddle, all that that you experienced, I actually got first. Um, I got to sit with it uh, before you did. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad it was a blessing. And all these sermons um, are available um, on our YouTube channel. And we're thinking of other ways to make them available as well. Um, you also heard the announcement uh, that next Sunday we are having Family Sunday. We had previously scheduled, uh, before we even knew we were doing this sermon series, the series kind of evolved uh, very organically just out of our um, expositional walk through the book of Ephesians. Um, and this sermon series just kind of grew and kind of metastasized and got bigger and bigger. Uh, but we were already planning to do baby dedications next Sunday. And we also, um, I had mentioned that we were gonna do a panel on singleness. And as you can imagine, having all the babies in here, doing baby dedication, having kids, and then having a, a grown folks conversation about singleness probably Probably ain't the jam, right? You know, um, probably not the move. Uh, so our singleness panel, which was actually scheduled for next Sunday, we're moving to the following Sunday, November 6th, okay? So next Sunday, it's gonna be family Sunday. We're gonna have all the babies in here. We're gonna have baby dedications. Uh, even, I'm gonna even tell you the text. We're still walking through Ephesians. It's, it's children, obey your parents, hallelujah. We're gonna preach to them kids. Y'all bring, if you ain't, I know you, I already know you like wrestling. You like, you like, Lord, am I going to bring them babies this Sunday? I don't want to fight. Listen, if, you, I, if you're going to fight with a baby on a Sunday, this is the one, okay? Uh, so we're going to tell them to listen, okay? Uh, but so our, our singleness panel is actually going to be on November the 6th, and we're eager uh, for that panel because we're going to have an opportunity for singles from various walks of life to be able to share because um, I recognize that in the, uh, the, the, the genre of sermon, 
in which I'm talking to you. It's not a, a, a time for us to talk back in dialogue, really. Um, but we know the importance, just by nature of what a sermon is, there's going to be things that I don't hit, and there's going to be lacks of nuances at times, and that's just kind of par for the course. But we also know that there are some practical, um, real-world, everyday nuts and bolts questions that you may have that may arise out of these sermons if you, as you seek to apply these things to your life and in your relationships. Um, and so we're going to have panels. And in addition to panels and discussions, um, I don't know if you guys follow us on social media, but if you don't, I want to encourage you to follow um, The Journey Hanley Road. You can follow us on Facebook or IG, and you can follow me personally um, at Carlos Smith 777. Uh, but we, I'm actually taking the, y'all seen the, the uh, posters that we had up for Ask Pastor Carlos, and I've started to answer questions um, about singleness, marriage, and relationships. So if you want to find some more, and it's very practical, literally 90 seconds of me just talking about what the Bible say about simple things. So I want to encourage you to follow us, follow our church, The Journey HR, um, on IG, and you can get more of those nuts and bolts components to this sermon series. This last week, I answered the question um, of Christians and dating apps. Should we do dating apps? How should all that work? Um, and so I got some thoughts around that. This week, um, I'm, I'm going to be answering multiple of the week. The question uh, that I've been thinking through recently, one that was submitted, and these are questions that you all have submitted, is should you date someone that you're not attracted to? Um, so that, that's the, like, I mean, physically, like, you know, you don't think they're cute, but they love Jesus. What do you do? Like, I mean, <laughs> like, like Bo, you know, Bo asked show up and he just ain't as cute as you thought he was. What do you do? You know, uh, like, whoa, well, I thought you was going to look, look a little different. But, uh, you know, or you thought Esther looked one way and she, she looked a little, she, she bears the Lord's image differently. Um, and so um, where, how do you, how do you, what do you do? Is it all about physical attraction? Is it not like... All y'all have thought this. You've all thought it. Um, so follow us on social media, and I'll answer those types of questions there uh, more directly. But um, I'm going to be wrapping up our sermon series today um, from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 on the topic of singleness. But even if you're married, engaged, dating, ain't trying to be single forever or that long, either way, I think it'll be something for you in this sermon. So let's take up our, our Bibles, and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to be looking at um, actually verses 6 through 8, and then we're going to hop down to verse 25. And if you would stand with me in honor of the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 7. I'm going to start at, um, at I'm, I think I got an app, I got verse 7, but I'm actually starting at verse 6, read down verse 8, and then we'll hop over to verse 25. And if you can't find it, it'll be there on the screen, and it's on page 955 of your pew Bible. Hear the Word of the Lord. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Let's go down to verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn, 
as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Eternal God, our Father, I pray that you would just be with us, speak to us from your word concerning this matter of singleness, God. Father, you haven't forgotten about singleness. Singles are not an afterthought to you. They are not uh, pariahs. They are not people who are somehow uh, second-class citizens in the kingdom. But God, they have your priority because you, when you incarnated yourself, lived 33 years as a single man. Uh, so God, I pray that you would be with us today, speak to us through your word, and encourage us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. You may have your seats. Today I want to speak to you from the thought, maximizing your singleness. Maximizing your singleness. In 1998, a UK journalist by the name of Nigel Reynolds sat down with a then unknown and little known author who was seeking to promote her new book. This new book was not something that was of particular interest by Brother Nigel. Um, but he was just doing his job to interview this writer who had been set up uh, to give this interview there in the UK. This little known author who had never had a hit book, was not um, a big name, was not a household name by any means, her name was J.K. Rowling. He sat down with J.K. Rowling and he did the obligatory interview um, by which he, which he was assigned by his editor that he didn't really want to do. At the end of the interview, which was covering her book that he didn't think anybody wanted to read, nor her publisher really thought that anybody wanted to read, a book called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. This book would later be released in the United States as Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Not only did Brother Nigel Reynolds not want to listen and talk to Sister Rowling about this book that he was sure nobody would read, um, but her publisher didn't think anybody else would want to read about this book either. Um, so they only made a printing of 300 copies in the UK. And so, as Sister Rowling sat down uh, with uh, Brother Reynolds, when she got up to leave, she gave him an autographed copy of her book, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, the first printing of only 300 books. And he took the book, he said thank you, he was very nice, he was very cordial. It was a gift he didn't ask for and it was a gift that he did not want at all. He went back to his office, and when he went through his office, he skimmed the book. And when he skimmed the book, he liked the book even less. He, he wanted to know who was going to want to read this book about this weird little wizard child. And he even looked at the book, and the book was full of errors. It was tore up. He felt it wasn't even a good job on editing. And so he took the autographed copy of the first printing from the first 300 copies of the first edition of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, and he threw it in the trash. He tossed it into the garbage because it was a gift he didn't ask for. It was a gift that didn't even look that good. And it was a gift that he felt had completely wasted his time. We all know how this story would go because we all know who J.K. Rowling is. We all know who Harry Potter is. We all know that she went on to become and to sell uh, one of the most critically acclaimed series of children's books in the history of Earth and to make multi-millions of dollars for her, her publisher, and herself. And that copy, that gift, 
that Brother Reynolds did not want, did not ask for, that he thought, frankly, was a little bit ghetto today would fetch upwards of $100,000. And he took that book and he threw it in the trash. And I know you, Carlos, you're like, what, what does that have to do with singleness? What does that have to do with maximizing my singleness? Um, you said that's the title, maximizing my singleness. What does that have to do with this? Here's what I want to submit to you about your singleness. God may have, it may be a gift that you have asked for, that you uh, feel committed to, to living a life of singleness, or it may be a gift that you have not asked for at all. In fact, it may be a gift that you feel is supremely ghetto, that singleness is trash, that the dating pool is trash, that the selection is trash, and you want to get out from under it. But what I want to submit to you is to be careful before you throw this gift that you didn't ask for, that you may not even particularly like in the trash, because God still has value and purpose in it, even if you don't like it. And so this brother here, he, he, he threw it away. He got rid of it because he didn't see the value in it. And some of us, as we think about singleness, we are leaning into our singleness, not as a gift from the Lord that has value and purpose, but as something that is a burden that we want to escape or that we want to use for our own selfish and nefarious purposes. And what I want to submit to us this morning is that God is, has put you where you are. And listen, whether you are um, voluntarily and, and uh, have decided and chosen a life of singleness and celibacy, or if it's just circumstantial because you just ain't found Boaz or Ruth yet, uh, the reality is, is whether you, however you conceive of God's sovereignty, whether active or passive in this situation, he has allowed you to be right where you are. And here's what I know about God. He never lacks intentionality. He never puts us in a place, allows us to be in a place, allows us to experience anything that comes through his sovereign fingers without it intending to mold us, shape us, and conform us to the image of Christ. And so as we think about singleness this morning, here's what I want to submit to you all. And I know there's a lot of there. there listen, if you um, listen, you, you can go on IG and YouTube and find all kind of relationship advice and all kind of stuff out here on how to, how to spit game and how to pull women and, you know, how to get that dude, how you need to dress. I, I, I just, I'm going to just like circumvent all that and just try to say what the Bible says right now. I mean, I got more to say about it. Follow me on IG for, for some of those things. But I want to focus on what the scripture says, which is that God is calling you to maximize and I would even add weaponize your singleness for the kingdom. That God actually, like when I think about singles, I believe God has called and equipped singles to be like Navy SEALs for the kingdom. That, that you, you know, y'all you, know that you don't need a lot of Navy SEALs to get something done. All, all, you, all you need is a couple, really. I mean, one will get the job done. I mean, you, all you need is like two, three, five. You, you don't need a lot of SEALs. I mean, it wasn't a hundred Navy SEALs that caught Bin Laden. You only need a couple to get the job done. Because they have a level of expertise, focus, and commitment, and training that your average soldier just doesn't have. And what Paul presents and the way he presents singleness in this text is that we can expect our singles and use our singleness in such a way that we can make an impact for the kingdom that cannot be erased. Now, let me be clear. I don't think this means that if you desire marriage that is wrong or that if you're single, if you're not making that lifelong voluntary commitment, um, that you can't move in this space. But what it does mean is that we can't be so distracted and frustrated by the state that we find ourselves, that we are unable to let God work in us and through us to use it for his kingdom and his glory. Do I got a church that's listening this morning? And so as we look at this idea of singleness from a guy by the name of Paul. We're hanging out in the book of 1 Corinthians, which Paul wrote to deal with all kinds of pastoral issues. I love Paul because as much of a theologian as he was, he was eminently a pastor. 
And he writes this book to deal with matters of the church suing each other, sexual immorality, sleeping with step-parents, all kind of weird stuff is going on. And Paul says in this book that they were also people who were frustrated and confused about marriage and singleness. And so he gives a comprehensive treatment right here. And so today as we walk through this book in, uh, or right, walk through the sex here in 1 Corinthians 7, I want to give us some things that I believe Paul lays before us to help us maximize our singleness. And again, if you're not single, if you're married, I don't want you to check out because I think Paul's words is going to be instructive for all of us on some level. And so the first thing that you're going to do, if you're going to maximize the single season of singleness, and that's what my prayer is for all of our singles, whether you're widowed, whether you're divorced, whether uh, you're just, you just haven't met the one yet, whether you have committed your life to the service of the Lord and living a single life, I want you to use and maximize this, this season for God's glory. And so if you're going to do that, the first thing you got to do, the, the, the very first thing is that you got to do is that you got to see the positivity of singleness. You got to actually see it as a benefit and a tool and not just a problem to be overcome. So look at verse 7 and 8. Look what Paul says. Paul lays all his cards on the table. He doesn't see singleness as a problem to be solved, but as a life to be lived. He says, I wish that all of you guys were as I myself am. Each one has his own gift from God, whether you're married, whether you're single, whatever, one kind from another. But I wish all y'all were single. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, at least, depending on how you read the verse, but at the minimum, five times that he wishes everybody was single. And I'm like, wow. He, I mean, Paul is like, yo, I'm feeling this singleness deal. Like, I, I, I like it. And I think all y'all should like it too. I mean, he, he, I mean, he shows his hand. He is, in, he is really clear. He is very biased in the text. He's like, hey, man, if you got to pick one, um, pick singleness. And, and this is just unbelievable for, for a Jewish person to be saying this because the Talmud um, basically presents lifelong singleness as almost a sin. So Paul is pushing against his Jewish training, and he's uplifting singleness as actually a preferred way of life. And see, if we're going to kind of maximize and use this singleness thing for the glory of God and in the ways that he wants, we have to first see it as a positive. But here, here's the issue. Um, one, we got a lot of stuff that we're dealing with. One of the things that we have to wrestle through nowadays is the romanticization of marriage in Hollywood um, and in the church. Um, you know, media, the, the world during Paul's time, you know, there, there was mass media, but it was like books. It just, it was, it didn't move as fast, okay? It, it wasn't as, as quick. Now we got like reels. You ever have, am I the only one who ever sat on TikTok and just wasted way more time than you realized looking at 90 second videos? That's why I deleted TikTok because I didn't want the Chinese government programming me with an algorithm. I was like, you know what? <laughs> I, was, I was telling the staff, I went over to Instagram, let Mark Zuckerberg do, do it like a true American. <laughs> Not going to let China program me, be programmed by an American. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, it's so fast. And, and these little, little quick hits of dopamine, because that's what they are, little quick hits of dopamine that we're getting through social media, they're shaping us and they're rewiring us. And so we are seeing singleness and things like that in such a negative way. Or if we're not seeing it um, in a negative sense, we're seeing it in an overly weaponized sense of, uh, and when I say weaponized, not for the kingdom, but for us to get our own gratification. Um, and so you got people who are lifestyle coaches and image coaches who will tell you how to position your life and live in such a manner that you can take advantage of as many of the opposite sex as you want to. And they will cheerfully teach you how to do it. And so our brain is being programmed and we're wrestling through all these things that's telling us that singleness is either something uh, negative to be avoided or something to be used for our own selfishness. 
But Paul, in verse 7, calls both singleness and marriage a gift. And he presents this idea here in this text, and Jesus also presents this idea of being called to be vocationally single. In Matthew 19, 12, he talks about singleness in a sense, um, and he talks about those who are made eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. And after talking about marriage, Jesus elevates marriage so loftily and talks about divorce as so much of not an option that disciples say, bruh, who in the world would sign up for that? And Jesus says, yeah, I know, it's kind of a lot, right? You can be single for the rest of your life is a viable option. And they were kind of like, whoa, bruh, that's a lot too. And he's like, he who they can accept it, let them accept it. Paul and Jesus presents this idea of being vocationally single, um, giving their life to singleness for the service of the kingdom and for the Lord. We actually had an elder, um, many of you haven't um, encountered him because he moved away um, before, it was before COVID, uh, but we had an elder named Craig Wolf who was vocationally single. He loved Jesus and he decided that he was called to live his life as a single man in the service of the Lord. He was a wonderful um, and is a wonderful brother um, in the Lord. And I've known other people who have made this choice. Um, and I believe that the reason why this is so problematic for us in Protestant circles is because we have so idealized marriage that we don't even leave room for that as an option. And so we, we have idolized and idealized marriage, and, and, and we have, uh, you know, we've made it so that in order to be a good Christian, you've got to have this perfect marriage, and the nuclear family is everything. And what we actually see in the first 1,500 years of the church is that you see these single people, especially single women that were killing it. Like I'm talking in the middle of persecutions in the first, second, and third century, the people who held the church together were not just the bishops. Sometimes the bishops folded like wet tissue. It was, I mean, for real. It was these, 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 uh, these groups of single women who loved Jesus, who hid the traveling preachers, and who held down the church. And so we need to, you know, make space for those and not treat them like they're weird if they say, you know what, I want to live the rest of my life um, for the glory of God and for the sake of impact. We need to admit that um, as potential, especially in Protestant circles. But I'm also aware the majority of us who are listening to us love Jesus. And you're like, Pastor Carlos, I love Jesus, but I need somebody in my bed. I, I'm single by situation, not by choice, you know. Um, and I'm cool with that. Like, the Paul is really cool that that is totally fine. There's nothing wrong um, with desiring marriage. Um, and he even has something to say to us in that space. But he shows his hand. He, he loves singleness. He thinks everybody should love it. Um, and people read Paul, and it's, it's kind of like reading Paul, man. You kind of like, it's like reading like a superhero book, right? Sometime I read Paul, and be like, man, this cat was an Avenger, man. Like, he was beaten, shipwrecked, and stoned, and just kept going. And then on top of that, he was single, and didn't have nobody to cuddle up with at night. I mean, it's like, that's terrible. You get, think about it. You go out to work that day, get stoned, almost die, and then just go home and sleep by yourself cold, just <laughs> ain't no, ain't nothing, no warm body, nothing. You just can't get a hug, can't be the little spoon, nothing. You just by yourself. <laughs> oh, they, just, they just messed up, man. And you're like, man, what is, what's going on with Paul, man? <laughs> you know. And I, I started looking at Paul, and I was like, bro, you are just not real. Like, you, like I can't, no one can do this. Um, but I began, the more I studied Paul, I began to find out fascinating things. One of the things I found out um, is that Paul is often presented in the church as a lifelong consummate bachelor, but there is very strong convincing evidence that that is actually not the case at all. That Paul was at one point in his life married. 
that Paul was almost certainly, and some of it is, is like linguistic stuff when he uses this word, this word here um, where it talks about uh, the unmarried. He lunks himself into this uh, group that he calls agamos, which is the Greek word for male wid widowers. Um, so where he says unmarried, it may actually refer to male widowers and then the word for female widows. He seems to lump himself in there. But even if we, you know, look at the lexical stuff and the, the linguistic stuff and like, I don't know. Um, outside of that, Paul was a Pharisee. In Philippians 3 and 5, he says that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, Pharisee, um, as a zeal and persecutor of the church and the righteousness under the law, he was blameless. In other words, this guy was a super Jew. He was a rabbi. And during this time, it would have been unthinkable for a Pharisee and for a rabbi to not be married. And so what that tells us about Paul is that he was almost certainly a person who either was a widower or when he converted, his wife abandoned him. One of those two things are the reality. Paul was either a widower or he was a divorcee. But here is the point. You're like, what does that got to do with singleness? The guy who was talking to you and the most consequential, or, or the guy who was writing to you here, and the most consequential and powerful Christian leader in the history of the church did not come from a cute, little, perfect nuclear family where everything was taken care of. Paul was actually a single man. He wasn't relationship goals. He didn't have a first lady. She didn't wear a big hat. It was Paul out there by himself, either widowed or divorced and having experienced heartbreak. That's, that was the reality. And what, what does this got to do? What, what, what does this got to do with singleness? Here's my point, singles. Regardless of what kind of singleness you are in, whether involuntary, divorce, widowed, and all of those things, what this shows us and what Paul demonstrates for us is that even if you are single, God can use you mightily for his glory. That God can use your life to make an indelible mark, an indelible impact, and he, you do not need a husband or a wife to make it happen. That God can do it by his spirit, through his spirit, and transform the church through somebody who not only is just single and didn't find nobody, but somebody who have been through relational trauma and are still healing. This is the Apostle Paul. You see, I, I think we have to talk honestly, and we got to open this conversation um, in the church about the stigma of failure that is often the reality for those who experience divorce in our ranks. And sometimes in our churches, you know, they can be viewed as second-tier Christians. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't pass the Christianity test um, because they, they, they met somebody, and for whatever reason, and sometimes those reasons are com complex, they're personal. A lot of times it just ain't none of your business, frankly. But the reality is that that's just keep it funky, right? Like sometimes... Sometimes church folks just be nosy, sometimes, sometimes just ain't your business, and that's okay. But the reality is, is that we can treat divorcees at times like second-class citizens and as failures of the faith because they experience something that is relationally traumatic. And I want to talk to divorce, divorcees because I don't want you to think that, man, I've been divorced, and whether it was for a biblically justified reason or outside of those means, can God still use me? Can I still have impact for the kingdom? And the resounding answer from the scripture and from the life of Paul is yes. There's still a place for you. God can still use you. God can still disciple through you. God can still equip through you. Here's the truth of the matter is, God often likes to disciple and equip and transform through the place of our pain. Some of y'all have been through, I, I, I was watching a, you know, a Chris Rock stand up, a tambourine, and he was talking about when he went through a divorce, and he says, listen, I don't recommend it for nobody. He, he was like, I got, I got money, I got that paper, I got notoriety, I got fame, still wouldn't recommend divorce. And he talked about how devastating it was and how 
painful it is, but he also, it was fascinating to watch Chris Rock do the stand-up piece because he actually used that pain to minister on relationships even through a stand-up comedy show. And God will actually take some of the things that you have walked through, the pain, the experiences, even if you were the person who was the one who failed on that other end, because that's a reality. Some of us have failed in marriage and sinned and were the cause of the demise of our marriage. And guess what? God can still redeem those fallen and broken places and use it to be a place of ministry and healing to others. We also got to talk honestly about the loneliness, the ambivalence, the despondency that a lot of our widows can face, and widowers. Uh, people who have had spouses that they love, walk with for many years, or walk with for a few years, and they experience that loss. And that can be a place that not only throws you from a relational place, and a place where there's just the, just the raw pain of loneliness and going home now to a house where that beloved spouse is no longer there, but there also becomes questions of personhood, of calling, of purpose. What do I do now? Is there a place for me? How do I function in the kingdom? Listen, son or daughter of God, know that God is walking with you and that God is saying, you still have a place in my kingdom. And not only do you have a place, that you have a potential to use your time that you have now to lean into me as your true bridegroom, experience my power and presence, and to be useful in my kingdom in ways that you couldn't before that are not deficient, but that are different. That God still has a calling on those who are widows, that they're not just pushed to the side. And it, it puts weight on us, church, to make sure not only, especially our church is, is on the younger side of things, um, not only those who are widows, but even those who are older and, and widowers and things like that, sometimes they can feel outside of the life of the church and outside of friend groups and things like that. And we have to be intentional on making sure that we are bringing those people into our church and into our lives and into our homes and into our tables so that people are not feeling left out. And then just in general, um, I think singles, um, can just feel kind of, you know, a lot. most of our church is married here. Uh, and so, uh, you know, you, you go home, you eat with your family, you're thinking about your kids, you know, you got, you got basketball games and soccer games and school and tests and all these things to think about. And we don't mean to exclude, but to Paul's point here, married life is busy. And that's why I think it takes an extra level of an intentionality to make sure that we are creating space, to make sure that we are spending time with uh, and connecting with our singles um, and not spending and not treating them like pariahs and not treating them um, as potential tempters and tempstresses to our marriage. Uh, because some people, let's just be honest, keep singles at arm's length uh, because they, they view them as saboteurs of their potential happy home. Uh, and let's just be honest, you know, some people just got simple problems, but you know, it take two, it take two to sabotage some stuff. You know, so is you, who's sabotaging? Who trying to, you know, who trying, who trying to sabotage? And so we have to make sure that we're not coming in assuming that our brothers and sisters who are walking through singleness are trying to sabotage our homes. Maybe they actually need community and need a family and want to see an example of what a happy home looks like. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And so we, have, we can't lean into discipleship and relationship through fear. And so what Paul presents for us is this picture of singleness 
as a means of flourishing. He views it positively, and he, he, he says that it can do incredible things. In fact, he's like 10 out of 10, will recommend singleness. He tells us, don't, don't throw it away. Don't, don't, don't get rid of it. Keep it, uh, because if you hang on to it, it can do incredible things. I, I mean, I've started reading and thinking about uh, how this, there's this medicine, this miracle drug that happened a little over 100 years ago. People was dying from things like pneumonia and meningitis and things like this. There was this guy by the name of Sir Alexander Fleming who had been trying to find a medicine for all of it. And so he had been working, he just kept failing and kept failing and kept failing and kept failing, just couldn't find it. And so he said, you know what? He did what a lot of us do. This, I, I really resonate with the brother. He was like, you know what? I'm sick of this. I'm going on vacation. So he threw all of his work in the trash and walked out. I would have totally did that. Throws in trash, walk out, goes on vacation. When he comes back to his lab, he looks in the, in the trash and the pantry dishes that he had been working on, that he thought was trash, what he noticed was that one of those Petri dishes had no mold growing on it. And he noticed that there was no mold, no bacteria growing on this one piece of culture that he had thrown in the trash, and he dug it out of the trash. It was something that he had thrown away. And he began to research it, and he found this thing that we just take for granted today called penicillin that has saved millions of lives. And child of God, I know that you may be looking at singleness like, this is just trash. I'm trying to make it work. It ain't working. I'm failing. I'm struggling. I'm messing up. I ain't staying sexually pure. This is a problem. What God is saying before you throw it in the trash, or, or God may be saying this, the reason why I won't let you throw it in the trash, because you, you, you are on e-harmony like a mug, and I just ain't making it work for you. The reason that I'm not letting you throw it in the trash yet is because there is some healing that I'm trying to bring out of you. There, there's some restoration that I'm trying to bring out of it. If I, and if I, give you, if I give you that man that you want, if I give you that woman that you want, it will short circuit the healing that I'm trying to bring to millions. So I got to let you stay in this thing so that I can bring about healing from something that you're trying to throw in the trash. And so what God says is that I'm, I'm trying to get you to value something that, that you're just viewing as trash. Doesn't mean you can't Flourish in your singleness and look for marriage. But we got to keep those things in perspective. We got to see it for what it is. So you see the positivity of singleness in verses 7 and 8. But you also see the reason why Paul is so, so big on singleness is that he sees the power of singleness. Look, look at the power of singleness. And in verse 32, he says, look, I want you to be free from anxiety. He's like, man, I'm trying to help you. Paul, Paul is funny. He like, we know that Paul got a high view of marriage, okay? He, has high, he says it's the, the image of Christ in the church. And he also says, but bro, it's a lot. <laughs> like, I mean, just think about it. Just think about that for a second. Like, just think about it. You, you get engaged into this, this institution in which your whole life, just your whole life becomes a parable of Jesus and the church. And just think about this for a minute. Just think about stuff with Jesus and church. That sounds cute. Listen, I've done, I don't even know how many marriages at this point. It is so adorable and wonderful to say at the altar. You know, we all suited and booted, bride looking good, groom got a haircut. We all out here, and I talk about marriage as an institution before God, and we stand as a parable of Christ and church. Everybody like, oh, everybody crying. There's cake over here. It's like, it's dope. We about to do the Cupid shuffle. It is lit. And, you know, I don't say this in the moment. Most of the time I've already told them this in counseling, but, you know, I'd be thinking, like, yeah, it's about to get lit. Uh, <laughs> I don't say that in the moment, you know. But, but have you just ever really thought about, like, Jesus in the church? Like, it's drama field, man. It's just a lot. He got to die. I mean, he couldn't just get shot. Like, you know, he, like, had to die with nails in his hands, go through 42 generations, redeemer. And then he do all that. Check this out. Here's the wild thing. Jesus died, 
resurrected, seated at the right hand of God in session over all the creation at the right hand of God right now in the church, his bride, us, still wilding. Still wilding. I mean, he didn't die. He didn't did it. It's over. Finished work of Jesus. The eschatonin invaded the new creation, all this stuff. Still wilding. And so why would we think that entering into that kind of agreement in which our entire life has to make that reality expressed should just always be. Now, there are moments of joy and flourishing just like in the church, but why would we think it is only going to be that? And so Paul says, look, man, I want you to be free from anxiety. He says, the unmarried man, he got anxiety, but he's anxious about Jesus, how to please the Lord. The married man, Verse 33 is anxious about word things, how to please his wife. Look, look, he told you. He, like, nobody listens to Paul, okay? Like, nobody listens. He, everybody walk around, happy wife, happy life. He told you already. He told you. 2,000 years ago, Paul, ain't nothing new on your, on, on your story. He'd been told, 2,000 years ago, Paul's sitting there like, he ain't having like, bruh, shaking his head, man. But he says not only that, happy wife, happy life, you know. Verse 33 he goes on to verse 34, he says, your interests are divided. Remember I told you last week about God uniting our heart, giving us a whole heart? He says that's more challenging in marriage because by necessity, keep in mind, by necessity, your interests are divided because the Bible says that you have to care for your spouse or according to 1 Timothy, you are worse than an unbeliever. So this isn't an inconvenience. This isn't God-given obligation to care for your spouse. He says, listen, your interests are undivided. But he says, not only that, keep going verse 34, the unmarried or the betrothed woman, she's anxious about Jesus. How to be holy in body and spirit, how to give it all to Jesus. But it ain't just happy wife, happy life. It's happy spouse, happy house. Because look, he says the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. That's what she should be thinking about. Not just how to please Jesus. And then he says in verse 35, I'm saying this because I'm trying to help you. He looked like, I read this in Greek, and it's even funny in Greek. He like, it's, I'm saying this for your own benefit. Like, I mean, Paul was legit trying to help. He's like, I'm not trying to restrain you or keep you from marriage. I'm just trying to do one thing. And he says the one thing he's trying to do in verse 35, this is kind of his punchline. I want to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. He says, I want to supply, I want to secure, I want you to be focused on Jesus. I already told y'all for a whole month that marriage is a ministry, it's a mystery, it's a dance, that it is complex. And what Paul says is that I want you to be able to give everything you can to the Lord. So what is the power of singleness? The power of singleness that Paul says here, it is the power of focus. It is the ability to focus on one thing and to give our all to give everything to Jesus. Not that being married, you can't give everything to Jesus. It's not that Paul's saying that you can't, but he's just being very practical. When we look at the book of 1 Corinthians here, a lot of people think Paul wrote this around 51 or 52 AD, and at that time, there was an intense famine going on around the Mediterranean. And so when he talks about this present distress in our coming up, in the verses that are coming up, they actually think he may be talking about like there's the middle of a famine and you're not only trying to figure out how to feed yourself, but you're trying to figure out how to feed an entire family. And so he's saying the power that you have is the power to be able not only to worry about the existence of other people, because let's be clear, you don't get to get married and just say, oh, I'm just going to fast and pray all day. Like, you know, some of us get married and let's just be honest. The reason why some of us struggle in our sex life is because we're trying to be too spiritual all the time. Like it's time, it's nighttime and one of y'all got needs and one trying to pray and, and listen to John Piper. <laughs> y'all, like listen, when it's, when it's time for that, you might want to hear Tim Keller. 
Might try and hear all that. Hey, one of the worst things that ever happened, this is a sidebar, um, they might cut my mic off after this. One of the worst things that ever happened <laughs> in the history of Christianity, some of y'all might have been around long enough to remember this, like back in the 90s when T.D. Jakes was real big with her lady, her lover, and her lord, and, he made, and T.D. Jakes made an R&B CD. <laughs> Be my wife listening to T.D. Jakes, yeah, baby. I don't want to hear that. T.D. Jakes trying to be Barry White. Turn that off. Turn on that Teddy Pendergrass. <laughs> I need it. I need a little. I need to be slightly sinful in that moment. But me, T.D. Jakes. <laughs> I'm just saying. You don't. You don't get to get married. And just, you know, folks want to get married and then get super deep. Now, if you want us to be super deep, stay single and be super deep. Pray and fast all you want to. You, you, you had the ability to focus on Jesus. Paul says, look, I don't want you to be full of anxiety. You got to have to care for one another. And I want to, I want to lay this call out to our singles. I want to lay this call out to you. If you are single, you have the power to do incredible things. Is, is, God, is God calling you? Like, you, like I want to be clear. The amount of singles that we have in this congregation, y'all can, y'all, like you singles, you people without kids and without obligations, you can take this ministry and this church to another level single-handedly. Could the Lord be calling you to, to ministry? Could he be calling you to eldership? Could he be calling you to discipleship? Could he be calling you to go to seminary, to go on a mission field? The list goes on and on, the flexibility and the ability that you have to do incredible things for the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Here, here's the issue. Paul presents this as an ideal. He says, verse 32, I want you to be, uh, I want you to be free from anxiety. The unmarried man is anxious about, anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. The unmarried woman, she's anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. Here, here's the trouble. We have the power of focus, but some of us are not taking advantage of it for the kingdom. You see, he pre presents this ideal. He said, I don't want you to be distracted. I want to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And here's the reality. And I want to talk to y'all for a minute, singles, because some of y'all are single, and you could be giving your undivided focus to the Lord, but you are looking at everything but Jesus. You are investing yourself in everything but the kingdom. So you're not using your singleness as a means to glorify God. Some of us are using it as a means to do a lot of things, like climb the corporate ladder or stack as much money as we can or pattern and build our, relation, our, our, our resumes and stacking up accomplishments. And listen, I'm not knocking any of that. I'm, I'm literally going to be your biggest cheerleader. I, I love seeing God's people win. But I also want to say, say this, and I want to see this. I want to see God's people not only prioritizing their own upward mobility, but prioritizing impact for the kingdom. And then some of us, you know, some of us, it ain't like we're doing nothing bad. We just like, yo, I'm using this opportunity. And listen, I preached a sermon last week and I meant it, you know, physically whole, emotionally whole, spiritually whole. God wants us that. But we can't take that and just mean that, okay, I'm just, I'm just pouring into myself. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just focusing on myself. I'm only, I'm just trying to get ahead of my career. That's cool. But what God is saying is that he wants us to continue to do what we need to do to bring impact for the kingdom. But not only that, not only that, what we also see is that God is saying he doesn't want us to just use our singleness and figure out what we're doing to use it as an opportunity. Some of us are trying to do the right thing. Some of us are using it as opportunity for sin. Some of us, can, can I keep it real? Let's keep it real. Some of us, like being single, ain't because we're trying to glorify Jesus or we're waiting on the right one. Shoot, we even had a lot of right ones. Some, some of us just playing the field, right? 
Some of us don't want to give up singleness because we are going about in a lot of promiscuity and a lot of relationships and a lot of entanglements, and we are having fun doing it. And what God is saying is that for those of us who are busy paying the field, listen, he's like, I love you singles, but I don't want you to hurt yourself, and you're hurting yourself, and you're hurting others. Because here's the truth of the matter is, some of us are, are living that way because we think we're going to be 20-something, 30-something, or 40-something forever. And so we out here playing the field, and we think we can do our thing, and we can do what we want to do. And God is saying, listen, you're wounding yourself, you're wounding others, and in the long run, it's not even wise to do. And then some of us are single, let's just be honest, and just wasting time. Like, we ain't necessarily single, but we ain't pursuing nothing. We just hanging out in the basement, we playing Call of Duty, uh, we kicking it with the fellas, and we just kind of, you know, just dopamine, right? Video games, kicking it, social media, little porn here and there just kicking it. And what God is saying to us is that I am calling you to more. I'm calling you to more. Wherever you are, I am calling you to more. I am calling you to go past just seeking yourself, just uh, digging in and, and, and giving yourself over to your own lusts and to your own passions. I'm calling you to more than just playing Call of Duty and playing PS5. I am calling you to give yourself for the kingdom, to build yourself, as, yourself up as a physically and spiritually and emotionally healthy person so that you can make an impact for others. You know, when we start thinking about focus, the power of singleness being focused, you know, one of my favorite people um, is Steve Jobs. And man, Steve Jobs is world-renowned uh, for his ability to focus. They talk about how when he came back to Apple and he redesigned the Mac, they talked about how he just sat there and looked at the curve of the Mac over and over again, and he would just sit there and rub it and touch it. And he kept telling them, no, you need to change the angle. Nope, make it smaller. Make the angle different. Put a handle on it. They're like, a handle? He's like, yes, a handle. Like, why? Just put a handle on it and it became one of the best-selling computers in history. But he focused on the slopes and the angles and the details, and here's what Steve Jobs had to say about focus. He says, people think focus means saying yes to, to, to the thing that you've got to focus on, but that's not what it means at all. It means saying no to the hundreds of other good ideas that are there. You have to pick carefully. I'm actually as proud of the things that we haven't done as much as I am the things that we have done. Innovation is saying no to a thousand things. And when we start thinking about focus, child of God, when we start thinking about focus in our lives as singleness, there are some things that you're just going to have to say no to. If you're going to prioritize the kingdom, if you're going to prioritize holiness, if you're going to prioritize making an impact for God, there are some things that you're just going to have to take off of your plate. There are some activities that may be fine, it may be good, may not even be single or uh, sinful, but they are obstructing you from for living in the way and giving everything that you can for Jesus. Jesus has to become your focus with intentionality, so much so that we are willing to remove other things that could be impeding our progress and our focus on him. Does that make sense to y'all? So, uh, if you're going to maximize or weaponize your singleness, you have to Look at the positivity of singleness. You got to look at the power of singleness and embrace the power of singleness, which is focus. But also, if you're going to maximize singleness, and I would even say marriage, you have to look at the passing and understand the passing of singleness. What Paul presents us with in this text is that all of these things are temporary, that they're all fleeting, they're all temporal. Look at verse 26. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, whether that was a famine or all the randomness is going on in our world, look at the world, there's plenty of tribulation and distress. 
all of it is going around. I think a person should remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't try to get free. Are you free from a wife? Don't even look for one. If you marry, verse 28, you have not sinned. If a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. You can do it if you want to. But those who marry will have troubles, and I want to spare you that. Look at verse 29. He says, this is what I mean. The appointed time, which means now, we're in the last days. We've been in the last days, not just because of what's happening on the news or because of who's in office. We're in the last days because the Bible says that at the end of the last, at the end of days, the Son of God will be manifested. We're, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. And so, verse 29, so you can, you know, you ain't got to watch the news with, with your, your newspaper and Bible trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. We, we, we've been here for a while. Paul says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, check this out, verse 29, let those who have wives live as though they had none. What? Verse 30, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. Why? Because the present form of this world is passing away. What Paul says is that the people of God, whether single, whether married, wherever we are, whatever our lot in life, he even throws in single, married, rich, poor, whatever your lot in life, what Paul says is that we should live with an open-handedness about it because we should be a people with an eschatological orientation. You're like, Lord, what does that mean? All that means is that we should be a people who live in light of the return of Christ. Our entire life should be oriented looking for the return of Jesus, knowing how temporal everything in this world is. Now, this isn't some escapism because Paul is very clear that we should be integrated into our world, into our system, that we should be diligently working. Paul has playing in the background and the firmware of his apostleship, what Jesus says about uh, the parable of the talents and God coming back and finding his people working and not being a slothful servant. So Paul worked harder than anybody. So he wasn't the guy to just phone it in. That's not his point. But what he is saying is that when we wrestle with these things of marriage and singleness, people got sometimes we just make it ultimate. Whether we're single, we, we worry, Lord Jesus, what if, what if I just die single? What if, what, if, what if I never find that person? What, what if it never happens? And what Paul says is that you could have the gift of singleness and you could struggle. But Paul says that even if that's the struggle, we still have to orient ourselves towards Christ, that Christ is ultimate, not finding a mate. Our, our ultimate satisfaction is not going to come in finding the right person because newsflash, I don't care who your ideal person is, when you find them, they will not be enough to satisfy you and fill that void in your heart. I don't care who it is. And so what Paul is saying, what, what Paul is trying to do is that we shouldn't even be trying to get all of our relational needs met in this life. We shouldn't even be trying to make everything about whether or not we find a mate. He's saying, listen, that is good. If you want to get married, do it. Find your wife. But it ain't the end of the world if you don't, because the reality is it's going to bring a unique, not, it's going to bring a unique set of anxieties, a unique set of troubles, and it's not going to solve that hole in your heart anyway. But then for those who are married, he, he, he says the same thing because some of us, let's be honest, some of us are in wonderful, loving marriage and marriage is going well, but some of us are struggling deeply in marriage and we're like, God, we're asking the question, God, is this it? This is, is this all of it? And what Paul says, listen, here's the reality. You have to be open-handed with that too because that relationship that may be super fulfilling for you and wonderful, wonderful for you or may be profoundly difficult is not the end-all, be-all and it will never fulfill you anyway. Jesus has to be the object of your fulfillment. Jesus lets us know. You know. We have to keep in mind what Jesus says. Jesus says marriage and singleness is temporary anyway. 
But both of them. He, he, you know, they were coming up to Jesus, asking him about who, who going to marry this woman because of leverage marriage in the, in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, look, you don't even understand the kingdom of heaven. He says, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. In other words, this marriage thing is temporary because when we get to heaven, we all going to be married to Jesus. And so, whether we're single, whether we're married and struggling, whether we're married and flourishing, wherever we are, what Jesus says is that at the end of the day, I have to be the object of your satisfaction. Not your spouse, not your potential spouse, not the spouse you want. Augustine, people of God, Augustine was right. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until we find rest in you. And so, wherever we find ourselves, single, married, struggling, indifferent, slipping, falling, trying to get out of marriage, trying to stay in the marriage, wherever we are, Jesus says, listen, make me the object of your satisfaction. Your heart will be much more satisfied. Your heart will be much more rested. You'll have peace in the midst of singleness and the struggle of that, peace in the midst of a difficult marriage and the challenges of that, if you find your fulfillment of me. But God, wherever we are in life, married, single, wherever, his heart for us, people of God, is that we maximize wherever we are in life for his glory and for his kingdom. And so I want to pray for us briefly. And then our worship team is going to come up and pray for us. I'm going to give us our discussion questions. I want y'all to think y'all got away one week. But I want to pray for us and pray for our singles and pray for our church as we wrap up this series. Eternal God, our Father. Father, you have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. God, I want to pray for our singles. For those who have never been married and are super good with that, or they want to dedicate themselves to pursuing life with you. God, I want to pray for our singles who have never been married but desperately want a spouse. God, for our divorcees, for our widowers, those who go home and they don't have a significant other. Father, I pray that you give them the gift of your presence. Father, I pray that you remind them that it's not just a cop-out, it's not just escapism, that your presence and your peace is real and more tangible than I am standing right in front of them right now. That, God, you are really with them, even until the end of this age. That, God, you are really walking with them. You have not abandoned them. You have not forgotten them. They are not second-class citizens. They are not an afterthought. But, God, they are the elites of the kingdom. God, I pray that you will, God, I pray that you will raise them up and deploy them in this church. Father, I pray that you will weaponize them in a way that brings glory to you, to your name, God. There are callings, there are anointings that are under the sound of my voice right now that, God, you are calling out in this moment. Do it, God, I pray, by the Spirit of God. Father, I pray that you will raise up men and women who can transform this church, transform their communities, transform families, bring healing to others. God, I pray that you would deploy these men and women for your glory and for your kingdom. God, I also pray that you bring healing to them. God, as they struggle, as they wrestle, as they're frustrated, as they're questioning, as they're having questions about their own worthiness, as they're having, wondering about why you have put them where you are, God, I don't have the answers, but I do know that you are with them. So God, remind them of that. Father, I also pray for the married people that are struggling, that are wrestling, that are having a hard time. God, remind them that they too have to be open-handed that they have to find their fulfillment, not in another person. No one else can bear that way. But they have to find it in you. 
And Father, I pray for those couples that are maybe just kind of, they're neither struggling or flourishing. They're just kind of, they just kind of are. They just kind of in a holding pattern. They just kind of kicking it. God, I pray that you would allow them to experience a revival, a refiring in their own marriage and connection. God, and those that are flourishing and even those that are not, God, I pray that you raise up married couples to mentor and pour into us all. In Jesus' name, God, we trust you. We love you. Help us to find our fulfillment in you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.